Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for July 27th, 2017. This is Peter Serretta. On today's show, we'll be discussing a bunch of news, including the Bloodshot movie, James Bond 25 director shortlist, Zack Snyder's influence in DC films, James Cameron's Terminator trilogy, and a Stranger Things theory you won't want to miss. And in the mailbag, we'll be talking about where Hollywood will look for stories next. But right now, let's jump into the news I have with me Ben Pearson from SlashFilm.com. Ben, how's it going? Hey, what's up, Peter? Uh, a story broke uh, on Monday night, I believe. No, Tuesday night, sorry. Uh, that Zack Snyder's influence on D- the future of DC films has been significantly uh, reduced. You wrote the story for SlashFilm.com. What can you tell us? Yes. So Mashable has multiple sources that told them that Zack Snyder and his wife, who's a producer, Deborah Snyder, uh, quote, will no longer have anything like the level of uh, creative influence that got the franchise to this point, end quote. So um, even though Warner Brothers has denied this claim, Mashable says they have a bunch of different people saying the same thing, which is that Zack Snyder and Deborah Snyder's influence over the DCEU moving forward is going to be 
yeah, significantly smaller. Um, not only that, Joss Whedon is supposed to be the, quote, secret weapon of uh, DC Films head honcho Jeff Johns. Uh, those two are close creative partners at this point, and uh, Whedon is said to be a major part of WB's creative team moving forward. So that's sort of a big deal. It's almost as if Whedon is sort of um, fully replacing Zack Snyder uh, in, this, in much the same way that he is on, you know, in the directing category for Justice League. Um, in addition to that, their, uh, Mashable's report also says that David Ayer, who directed Suicide Squad and was, uh, or I guess technically still is attached to direct the female-led Harley Quinn spinoff movie Gotham City Sirens, might not actually end up directing that movie at all. Um, Ayer's representative, again, denies that that's the case, but uh, considering what David Ayer said at Comic-Con, he made some comments about how his new movie Bright uh, isn't some bullshit standard-issue PG-13 movie. Uh, It would not be surprising to me if he ended up walking away from what almost certainly will be a PG-13 studio movie. So, uh, yeah, a lot to chew on there. Yeah, and that PG-13 comment's obviously about Scarface, which he walked away from. But, yes, it does seem relevant here. And it is worth mentioning at Comic-Con, they showed, like, kind of this montage of DC's upcoming, or Warner Brothers' upcoming slate of DC movies. And Gotham City Sirens was one of the movies not mentioned on that slate. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm wondering if that's even happening anymore. Uh, we should also mention that Zack Snyder's Twitter account completely removed his background wallpaper of Justice League, um, I think, a couple weeks ago. Interesting. Which seems, uh, I mean, it's it's circumstantial evidence of mm-hmm. something. Uh, I mean, why make that, why make the effort to, he didn't replace it with something else. He replaced it with just a color background like a generic colored background mm. so um you yeah know, there we are know report there i was gonna say there are reports that he and uh and deborah are supposed to be looking at making other movies at warner brothers that are outside of the dc purview um so maybe he just hasn't officially chosen what that project is going to be yet obviously they're still grieving over the personal tragedy that caused them to walk away from justice league to begin with so uh yeah there's there's a lot a lot of stuff in here the weird thing about all this is like you know days before this thing happened with Zack snyder uh stepping down he was in london at a you know a fan event promoting the Wonder Woman, which was coming out like I think weeks later, mm-hmm. and you know he didn't need to be there. He didn't need to fly to London like to appear at that event, right? But he was there uh, doing interviews and and such. And even the week before I think Wonder Woman came out, I I got offered an interview with Deborah Snyder um, from her personal publicist. You know this was days before this thing was announced. So it just seems like something happened. Like it sort of <laughs> took them by surprise, maybe? Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, they are grieving about their daughter. But it, it it seems like there is some definite shifting behind the scenes here. And, you know, Josh Whedon is a g- good choice as any to come in and, you know, be the creative force behind your superhero uh, movie universe, I would mm-hmm. think. What, what do you think? 
Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's it's hard to talk about this because I want to be sensitive to what the Snyders are going through. But it seems like, you know, Hollywood can be a, a pretty cutthroat place sometimes. And it does, from the outside looking in, sort of seem like Warner Brothers is taking this as an opportunity to move some pieces around on their chessboard and say, OK, you know, the Snyders, although they may have producing credit and maybe executive producing credit on some of the future movies coming up in the DCEU, we're just going to go ahead and slide them off to the side. And, you know, uh, the, you know, the writing has been on the wall for a long time about Zack Snyder's uh, stylistic choices and the way that he brought the DCEU into the world. And audiences have and critics have just not responded in the way that Warner Brothers wants them to with the exception of wonder woman recently which obviously was like a huge thing and jeff johns has gone on record as saying that they're going to be ditching the whole dark and gritty vibe you know this they're going to be embracing the optimistic tone uh that a lot of these characters have in the comics and stuff like that for their future films so uh whedon definitely seems you know historically speaking more capable of uh you know in imbuing infusing those sorts of characters with that tone than anything Snyder has done before. And it's sort of a shame that this whole thing is shaking out this way because it feels, I don't know, a little dirty somehow. You know what I mean? It does feel weird. Um, it should also be mentioned at Comic-Con during that montage of the DC upcoming slate, the Flash movie has been retitled Flashpoint, which in the comics is kind of like this reboot of sorts, which has led many comic book fans to believe that you know, this might be a way to kind of restructure the DC uh, extended universe into whatever, you know, Warner Brothers and Whedon and Johns want it to be, you know. That's you know, fascinating. There's, there, there's rumors that, you know, Ben Affleck's not going to be the Batman. This could be easily the out <laughs> to get him out of the Batman if that were to happen. Um, yeah, and this and just... that's a way, it's a great way to do it um, while keeping the story narratively consistent too right instead of having to like reboot the entire thing uh which of, of course would be like a huge embarrassment for warner brothers because the dc movies are so important to them as a studio right now um uh, being able to find a story reason to reshape the universe from the inside out sounds like a pretty <laughs> awesome gift for them so maybe they will take advantage of that and and, and it is weird too because you know i i've talked to some people that read the Flash movie, you know, months back, and it was not Flashpoint. So this is a a new development of sorts. So I think it aligns. I think this, I think, you know, I, I don't have any proof, but I think it aligns that, you know, that Mashable's report is probably true, that yeah. the Snyders are out of DC other than, you know, getting credit executive producers um, and that the future is going to be under Jeff Johns and josh whedon and we'll have to see how that turns out because Indeed. um it hasn't turned out too well <laughs> thus far yeah their batting average is not great but uh maybe whedon can turn it around moving on james cameron is not only working on a set of avatar sequels but he's also working on the next terminator movie and now we have learned that it's not just a terminator movie but it's a new trilogy of terminator films to talk about this, we have Hoi Tran Bui who wrote about the article. So, what is going on with this James Cameron story? Like, what do we know? Um, so, we know that James Cameron is 
discuss- discussions with David Ellison, who is the um, CEO of Skydance Media, um, and he's in discussion to regain the rights to the Terminator franchise and to turn the new film into a trilogy, actually. So he, he's planning to do a three-movie three arc. And we know the director of Deadpool, Tim Miller, is going is supposedly attached to direct the first of this new trilogy. But the question is, is this franchise dead? Have we, you know, have we mined everything we could possibly get from, you know, the Terminator franchise? What what do you think? Well, as you know, the catchphrase of the Terminator is, he'll be back. And I think that as long as there is a discussion around artificial intelligence as there is right now, um, they can keep mining the story for more convoluted time travel plots and more um, issues about fate and uh, destiny. So I don't know. It seems like James Cameron does think that there is more that they can do with the franchise. He did say in in the um, story, uh, we live in a world of predator drones and surveillance and big data and emergent AI. So it seems like those are the things that he wants to explore, which are definitely more advanced than what he did explore in the original Terminator in 1984. Oh, for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Times have changed a lot, even though, you know, they had drones back there in, in, in those movies. Uh, mm-hmm. But let's move on. Uh, at Comic-Con, uh, everything was about Infinity War. There was some Captain Marvel news. And uh, everybody's just assumed that Captain Marvel was going to appear in Avengers Infinity War. But at Comic-Con, we learned that she, her standalone movie, which takes place, which is released after Infinity War, is going to be set in the 1990s. It's a prequel with Samuel L. Jackson mm-hmm. with two eyes. Um, and someone, I believe it's comic book, asked Anthony Russo at Comic-Con if she was going to be in Infinity War, and he basically said no. So Joe Russo told comicbook.com, quote, she's not in Avengers 3, which means she could still be in Avengers 4. So back when all the buzz started happening that Captain Marvel would be in Infinity War, and back when we all thought that uh, the Russo brothers had confirmed this, this was in May 2016, and this was back when Infinity War was still a two-parter. So it was going to be Infinity War Part 1 and Infinity War Part 2. So I think that... Yeah, and, and since then, they have turned that into two uh, separate movies is what they're mm-hmm. calling it. But it, it's yeah. still kind of be going to be kind of a two-parter, but it's not going to be Infinity War Part 2. Right. But even so, back then, he was kind of hint Like when people would ask him about Captain Marvel, he would you know tease and hint and not mm-hmm. necessarily say that she was in it. But... It seems like he's a lot more definitive. Yeah, I don't. I guess there isn't any room for her because it seems like her mythology and her backstory will be tied really intrinsically to the Skrulls, which will be introduced in um, Captain Marvel in 2019. And because I guess you can't have the Skrulls before they're properly introduced in the MCU, it might be a little bit too just weird to have her in there. They might have her in an after credit scene in. Avengers Infinity War to hint at her appearance in Avengers 4, which I'm pretty sure she will be appearing in. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that, and that would definitely hype people up for, um, you know, her appearance in her solo film, because, you know, this is an introduction of a new character, and you got to get people excited for something they don't know. It's, you know, almost like doing an original property, because, right. you know, unless you're a comic book fan, you don't know Captain Marvel. Uh, so I could see that. 
but uh, we'll have to wait and see. I, I think we're going to hear more about this uh, in the in the coming months. Um, also, it's been a slow news day, but um, there was a Stranger Things theory that I, I found uh, somewhere on the internet. I forget which site it was on. I think it originated at the Wrap, and then uh, it was covered by Elite Daily. Site. Yeah, Elite Daily, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you can turn away now if. You don't want to hear a fan theory that could end up being true. But I think it's just a ridiculous, fun fan theory to talk about. So what what is the fan theory? So the fan theory is that the upside down in Stranger Things is not an alternate dimension, but actually the future of Hawkins, Indiana. So it's basically the theory that Eleven, instead of ripping a hole in, or like a portal across dimensions, she actually ripped a hole in the time-space continuum and uh, has given Hawkins, Indiana of of the 80s, uh, access to uh, Hawkins of the future in which the whole place has been wrecked by nuclear holocaust. So it would explain the radiation that um, is throughout the Upside Down because everyone has to wear the suits, uh, otherwise they get infected or something and um there are no people there but it is populated by monsters which would also make sense for nuclear holocaust but just because we haven't seen people doesn't mean that they don't exist there so it's an interesting theory it's a lot of fun yeah i remember when i was talking about this in our private slack channel you brought up the idea that uh ben schwartz could finally appear as the older version of of uh, who was that? Um, one of the, of the main... Steve Harrington. Steve, yeah. Not not the older version, but as a descendant, maybe like a nuclear uh, war survivor descendant of Steve <laughs> Harrington. You know what I mean? That I mean, this fun. is this is such a ridiculous theory, but I, I kind of love that. Um, mm-hmm. Although we haven't seen any people yet, so there if they exist in that theoretical future Hawkins, they're in some kind of bunker somewhere. Yeah, um, but. Uh, what do you think of the likelihood of that actually this coming to to pass? Um, I think anything's possible. I think Stranger Things hasn't really defined the differences between alternate dimensions, alternate universes, and alternate times. So they could play fast and loose with it. They could really say that it's you know the past even. So I'm not. I, I think it could be anything, honestly. And um, the way that Will Byers is also like apparently flashing back and forth between it has a lot of interesting implications in terms of like, is it a dimension or is he flashing to another universe or something or the future? So no one knows the physics of it. Have we ever seen a film where there is a person that is flashing between different timelines? I mean, I guess Dr. Manhattan and Watchmen kind of does that. But I, I can't think of, you know, that being used as a conceit for like. An entire so, movie. It happened in Lost. In oh, well, yes. Both The Constant and also in the final season, season six, he was both flashing between time and also flashing between um, universes or parallel timelines. <laughs> so it, it's possible. I, I miss Lost. Lost is also influenced by Washington. I know. I miss it a lot, too. <laughs> and next up in the news is the Bloodshot movie is going to star Jared Leto to Joining me to talk about this is managing editor for SlashFilm.com, Jacob Hall. How's it going, Jacob? Going okay. Uh, you know, mostly okay. I feel a sudden surge in my bowels because Jared Leto is starring in a Bloodshot movie. <laughs> you, you are a fan of the comics, I, I, I assume. 
specifically, I'm a fan of the more recent ones. Uh, if you want to, the, the, the long story short, Valiant Comics relaunched maybe six, seven years ago. Brought back all the characters from the 90s, including Bloodshot. And it's been really impressive. So while I can't speak to the characters' early origins, the mo- more recent stuff has been very cool. Yeah, a lot of what Valiant is doing, I think I've heard, is pretty good. Um, but okay, so who is Bloodshot? Because I, I, I assume a lot of people out there probably don't know this character. Oh, Bloodshot is a former soldier who, through all kinds of experimentations, has his blood infested with billions of nanites. That like caused him to have super strength, regeneration. He communicates with machines. He can shape shift in some minor ways, and it's very, very hard to kill him. And he has this unique look. He has this sort of gray white skin with a red circle on his chest that almost looks like a wound. It's actually a very '90s, you know, cool. Everything's a grim and gritty look, but it, it's <laughs> so, uh, so it's, very it's, Matrixy, very. Yeah, they, they, they gave him a trench coat um, at some point. Uh, so it's, it's a look that makes me go, huh, when I first saw the character. But um, he's pretty cool because once they started treating him not as a, in, an invincible super soldier, but as an invincible super soldier who has to grapple with the fact that he's killed so many people and is uncomfortable with that, that's when he became interesting. Hmm. Uh, so he has this unique look. Is Jared Leto just signing on to this so he can do one of his infamous transformations? Oh, I, that's a good question. I, I, Jared Leto frustrates me to no end because I feel like he's one of those actors who has read stories of method actors doing insane things and saying, that's really <laughs> cool. I'm going to do that without understanding why method actors do insane things. Uh, I, I think he definitely is looking forward to wearing white makeup and getting really buff and shooting a bunch of guys and looking cool doing it. I just don't know what he'll have to send his coworkers in the mail this time since Bloodshot isn't like the Joker. He can't send people to animals. <laughs> why? Okay, you obviously do not think this is a good idea. So what, why is it a bad idea that Jared Leto is playing Bloodshot? Uh, look, there, there's a knee-jerk reaction a lot of people have to Jared Leto where they flat-out hate him. Uh, it is the kind of personality he shows in real life, just the way he carries himself. There's, there's an I, I, I've actually him. talked to journalists at like the highest level of, 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 of sites that you, you know, big corporate sites that have said to me that they will refuse to do an interview with Jared Leto ever again. <laughs> <laughs> well, my whole thing is, I, I don't think he's a bad actor. I just think he's a tool to be used in the right direction, like sleazy Blade Runner villain. Okay, I'm down for that. I was even down for the Joker. I don't think the Joker is, a, is his fault. I think it's a bad take on the character driven by script and direction. But I could have been down for him to take on that character. I just don't think he's an action hero. I definitely don't think he's a former soldier. I, I can definitely get that. We should move on, though. Uh, you're also a huge James Bond fan. That I am. Um, and Bond 25 was announced this past week. Uh, and just now, we, yesterday, they released a director short list. So who is being considered for this uh, that we know of? Uh, this is interesting because short lists are sometimes BS. They're sometimes just a big list of, here's every single person we're talking to. But these, this list is, comes from both Variety and Deadline. There's enough crossover for me to think this is legit. But the names they are considering, uh, Denis Villeneuve, uh, David McKenzie. And, 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 Denis just, just did Arrival and is doing Blade oh, Runner. And, oh, yeah. 
McKenzie. Uh, Dave McKenzie of uh, Hell or High Water and Starred Up. Yeah. And um, I'm going to butch this name because I can never speak with a French accent properly. But Jan Demange uh, of 71 and the upcoming White Boy Rick are apparently the three names that are that have met with Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson, the producers of the Bond franchise. Well, those are three interesting names. Um, you know, everything I've seen from uh, Dennis is, is something, you know, I, I feel like he would be the one out of those three that I would be most interested in. I'm, I'm, I'm still surprised that we're still going with another Daniel Craig movie for the 25th James Bond, and we aren't just bringing in Christopher Nolan to reboot this franchise once again. And uh, I know Christopher Nolan's a popular choice, but I can't imagine it ever happening because Bond producers are notorious is the wrong word, but they, they, they have a tight grip on the Bond franchise. They, they bring in directors who are going to work with them and Nolan's the kind of guy who's going to want to do his own thing. And he may pay homage to James Bond or say he likes James Bond, but I don't think he'd play nice with producers who are going to tell him flat out. No, What's interesting about these three guys is that they're all critically acclaimed directors who have recent critical or even financial hits in their wake. But uh, all three of them are guys who have flexible styles, who I, who I believe can bend with Bond instead of crash up against them. Like I think, uh, like I think uh, Christopher Nolan or even another rumored name, Edgar Wright would. So, which out of, out of these three names do you think should direct a James Bond twenty-five? Which one I should think. Uh, I would love to see a Denis Villeneuve James Bond movie. I think Sicario uh, and Arrival sh- showcase a guy who's who makes intense movies for adults that are driven by both action and emotion. And that's what James Bond has been recently. The Daniel Craig movies have evolved in that space. However, I do think he's the least likely guy to take it. I think he's too busy. I think he's in too high of demand. I think he could even be too expensive after Blade Runner. Whereas uh, David McKenzie and Jan Demange are just low enough on the totem pole that Bond will be the thing to bring them up to a Denis Villeneuve level. And of these three, I think, even though Villeneuve is the one I would like to see the most, I think Demange is the guy to get it. I mean, I think he's the the youngest of the bunch. He's the hungriest of the bunch. Uh, He he has the right credentials that that they like to look for in James Bond directors, which is just these guys who are going to bring the artistic touch without overwhelming who James Bond is. But he's also French, and you know, so I, <laughs> I have this running joke in my head of, do, 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 the, do the, does the notoriously British James Bond franchise want a Frenchman taking that on? <laughs> this is a joke, but I, I, I couldn't help but think about that. Um, that is funny. Um, well, let's move on to the mailbag. Uh, Mitch from Maryland writes us, he says, a tweet from Ann Thompson led me to an article from Wired about about a new source material Hollywood is mining, podcasts. Uh, I'm curious for your take on this, and specifically your craziest ideas about where else Hollywood could look for source material to influence future TV and movie concepts. Well, first of all, um, podcasts, I mean, Hollywood has looked all over the place for source material. They've, you know, they've done Twitter accounts. They've done, you know, newspaper articles, you know, now podcasts. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, You could easily see something like Serial being, you know, I mean, it basically is, you know, uh, there's a bunch of Netflix series that are just like that, Um, maybe not based on Serial. But um, 
as for where they can go next, before I give it to you to to theorize, Jacob, um, I would say, and they've already gone this direction, but I think they've gone in this direction in a poor fashion. I would say board games. Uh, I think there's a wealth of um, material in board games. Board games are a, a rising industry, uh, and there's, there's a lot of tabletop players, and th- there is a lot of games that create worlds um, that, you know, and that, that's what Hollywood's looking for. Um, I, I could easily see, you know, I, I wrote an article on SlashFilm.com a couple years ago about this, but I could easily see a Mice and Mystics, you know, movie. I could easily, you know, there, there's so many board games out there that could easily be adapted for the screen. And so far we've gotten some really crappy ones, <laughs> you know, uh, Battleship. Uh, Clue's good, but I mean, no one really thinks about that uh, in terms of modern day. Uh, what do you think would be the next area that Hollywood could mine for uh, material? Oh, first of all, I do agree with you. Uh, as regular readers of SlashSub.com may know, you and I are both big board game fans, and we even have a somewhat regular column. It, it publishes when it wants to, called Cardboard Cinema, that talks about the connections between movies and tabletop and uh, how they align. And you should check that out if you're interested. So I agree with that, and there's a lot of great opportunities out there for people who are willing to look. But I'm going to give you the cynical answer as opposed to one I think has real possibility. That is my nightmare scenario is that in 20 years we're watching big franchises based on YouTube channels and YouTube personalities. Well, they haven't necessarily made movies about YouTube personalities, but we've already seen a big budget movie based on a YouTube short film, and that was Pixels. So it hasn't generated the best of content. Um, But... I think you're right. I mean, some of these YouTube personalities, you know, have followings. You know, every one of their videos is getting millions of views. They may have a following that could produce, you know, a lot of butts and seats in a cinema. Here's my pitch to you. Go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. Here's my nightmare pitch to you. The year is 2032. You're a studio executive. I sit down and I say... Here's my guy with 23 million YouTube followers. He's going to go on the big screen. You can play Minecraft for two hours. He's going to invite on a new YouTube celebrity every five minutes. And they can play Minecraft. It's an ensemble for two hours. That's my pitch to you, Peter. Do you accept it? I, I don't want this future. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hope you're wrong with the cynical uh, outlook of, of what it could be. Um you know, let's go back to board games because I'm, I'm much more excited <laughs> about board games. So if, if you had to pick a board game to be adapted into a movie that isn't just a generic, like, I'm, I'm sure you could pick Zombicide because Zombicide is just, you know, zombies, whatever. It's something that's unique to it. Like, if you had to pick a board game to be a movie, which board game would it be? Um, I'll, I'm looking at my board game shelf right now, and I'm seeing a lot of games I love, like Netrunner or Arkham Horror, which are kind of rooted in existing ideas. So I want to go with a board game that is newer, but I think has a world that's wholly unique and incredibly cinematic, which is Scythe, which is an alternate universe 1930s where Eastern Europe is a, is under siege by warring factions, all piloting steam-powered mechs. And the art from the game is incredible because it's like 1930s Eastern European peasants and farmers riding mules and working the fields 
old giant robots. It looked like they were actually both in the 30s. They didn't look futuristic at all, looming in the distance. And it's this incredible game, but the world it builds while you play it is incredibly rich and cinematic, and I'd love to see that played out on a large canvas. You you picked my choice, <laughs> so I'm not sure I have a choice. Uh, but you know, I, I would also say Mansions of Madness. I know you, you say that's based on Lovecraft stuff that we've you know it's it's based on previous material, um, but you could easily turn that into a movie. I would also think, um, hmm, I'm trying to think here. I mean, if you're going to do Rampage as a movie, you could do King of Tokyo. Yeah, and, and why not uh, Galaxy Trucker, which is a game based entirely <laughs> on the comedy of building a crappy spaceship and laughing while it falls apart. I think there's a, a great comedy to be made about really, really crappy space truckers. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, you know, I'm going to go back to Mice and Mystics. I think a company like DreamWorks or a company like Illumination Entertainment could easily pick up uh, Mice and Mystics. And I know it is kind of like... Um, What's that other book series that with mice? Um, Mouse, Mouse Guard? Guard. Mouse Guard. I know it's a little bit like that. And it's a little similar. And Gary Witt is already writing that. But I think it's different enough that you could make a good movie out of that. But, um, yeah. Let, let's stop it here. Uh, Jacob, <laughs> let's hope to God that the future of movies is not watching people playing video games on a big screen. YouTube what's personalities. What's with special what? guests. Special guests make it cinematic, Peter. <laughs> no, 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 no. I want to thank Jacob Hall, Huai Tran Bui, Ben Pearson for joining me on today's Slash Film Daily. You can find all of their work at SlashFilm.com. HT has a podcast called The Millennial Falcon, which you can find on iTunes. And speaking of iTunes, if you like this podcast, Go head over to iTunes right now. Leave us a review. Rate us. It helps us out. Spread the word. Tell your friends. Spread this podcast on social media. Uh, we're, we're always looking for more listeners. Um, and you can subscribe to us on all the platforms. If you're listening to this, you probably know that already. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Slash Film Daily. Thanks for listening.